You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today we've heard from new Pacers head coach Rick Carlisle in his introductory press conference. Talked about the roster, uh, how this came together of him being the head coach, his ambitions of the team, his thoughts on basketball and all that. And we're going to break it all down. And the draft was last week. And we were going to do this earlier this week, but we got derailed because the Pacers hired Rick Carlisle. Uh, so we're going to run through the, the locked on Pacers, actually just mine, uh, big board really quick. And Adam's going to dispute the players he likes and doesn't like, uh, so jam packed show today. Cause the Pacers did in fact, start their draft workouts, uh, on Wednesday, uh, with two, I think first round guys in there. And then they have a couple first round guys in on Thursday as well. So it's all happening fast. We got a lot to get to today, but Carlisle is obviously the, the headliner and joining me on the other line to break down a very long hour long press conference. Where we learned a lot about Rick Carlisle. My lovely co-host, Mr. Adam Friedman, former Indy Corner writer extraordinaire. Adam, now that it's been a minute and I can, can talk to you, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I, have one, uh, I have two questions for you. One, where are you located right now? My, my house. Why? <laughs> do you get that reference at all or no? Oh, yes, Greg I Doyle do. Asked, was, asked Greg Doyle's first worked. question of the presser was, yeah, where was, are you located? I love that. Um, no, it was, it, was, it was, I think, an enlightening press conference, at least to say the least. I mean, they, they went a long time. And they kind of just basically went until nobody had any questions, I assume, right? I mean, it seemed like... Yep. They let you go twice. Let everybody. Something everybody wanted to go twice. Could question like he just seemed like he was just kind of okay answering everybody's questions and just you know running running for an hour plus. So like as a media guy, I am thrilled by, by all this. It was really good. He had a, he had a lot of int- he he put a lot of thought into all of his answers too, which made which made for good content and listening I, for everybody. And the point of a press conference like that, where you're introducing a coach, is exactly that: get to know the guy. So I, I think too. I mean, so McMillan was pretty good at this too. But I think between between him and Carl, we forgot what it's like to have a, like a really experienced media coach, somebody who's done it yeah. a long time. And like, I don't remember what well, well, was like super short last year. Like I want to say it was like less than 15 minutes. It felt like, like he was wasn't longer than that. Was it? But it was super, it felt like it was very quick. There was like one question. Boom. Everybody was out. Now it was COVID and they're all kind of different in terms of like, I guess, but Carlisle's was like, clearly like this is a guy who's been coaching for a long time, been in front of the media for a long time and knew what to say. And, you know, knows how to like, it's just media trained in some ways. So KP spoke first uh, and kind of confirmed what we already knew from Woj reporting and in general, but just that this whole deal came together quickly, right? Where they, Carlisle became available and they talked with him and then they both realized Carlisle's camp and the Pacers were like, oh, there's mutual interest here. You're probably the best coach on the market. They move quickly to get a deal done. And when Herb Simon is willing to spend as much as he was, uh, that makes it easy to go. And we learned today, actually, that uh, uh, former Warriors defensive coach, I can't remember his name, Jaron Collins, I think. Jaron Collins, yeah. Yeah, was a, is apparently in contention for a Pacers assistant job. And they tried to get David Fisdale with a big offer, but the Lakers got him for a little less money. So apparently there's a willing to spend on assistance as well. But anyway, I just say this to say uh, there was mutual interest really quickly. Uh, Kevin Pritchard said they were planning a pretty big and wide search, but when you can get Rick Carlisle, you get Rick Carlisle. So not really a surprising, but cool to see that all laid out. Yeah. Jaron is the brother of Jared Collins, the first open game Bay player, I believe. Oh, okay. okay. Or are they twins? I think they're twins. I okay. do not know. I Yes. Twin brother, Jason. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that was reported by um, Mark Spears of ESPN. Yes. Well, that, that that's why his name is familiar enough because his brother um, was, okay. was well known. Yeah. I mean, it seems like I, I don't know. It was kind of a kind of a shotgun marriage. Man, I put that, but like a marriage between Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carla, two guys who I think are sort of Larry Bird-ish disciples. At least worked with him for a long time in some ways, and it seemed like it was less of like a go out and find a coach, more like we think Carlisle would pair well with Pritchard and let's make it work because you both have a similar philosophy and learn from the same person in some ways. So I, it, was, it was interesting to see that it's kind of like it definitely ownership seemed like they were involved heavily in this coaching hire, where I think the previous ones, they may not have been as much. Well, I'm just going to go straight for the lead of my favorite thing Carlisle said, if you're okay with that. Yeah, go for it. The best Rick Carlisle quote of the day to me, he said, role identification is huge, role acceptance is bigger. So he is all about getting guys in the right role for them to get them to succeed. We've seen that with Dallas. And that's part of how we talk about with him a lot. We have talked about with him a lot. He's really good at getting the most out of his rosters and setting up his players and situations to succeed. And a lot of that is he puts those players in the right positions to do well. The hard part sometimes with that is getting guys to buy in if the role is smaller than they want or getting guys to buy in if the role is different or less ball touches than they want. But I, the way he phrased that is basically perfect to me, right? His job is role identification. What do I want from you? And he talked about some players and what he thinks their skill sets are today, but role acceptance is the big deal. And that's where his communication skills that he talked about and him talking about that and social media being the most important parts of coaching. That was interesting, but role acceptance is bigger. I thought that was a great quote. I thought that was really telling of his coaching style and something we'll see a lot of uh, in his first season and beyond with the Pacers. Yeah, I'd be interested to see. I'm interested to see what he thinks everybody's role should be, right? I think there's been, especially next year, we're going to have, I think, probably the most offensive firepower they've had since the start of this last season when before everything went to shit, basically. Um, but right between Karras, Sabonis, and Warren, that's a lot of offensive firepower. Those three. It's going to be interesting how they divide up the shots, how they, you know, and then you throw Brogdon there as well, and how they do that, and then at times too with obviously if Turner's back as well. Like you can't just like not give him the ball at all because that's not how you, you know, make a good, it's not how you keep him active in the game. Like he needs to take some shots and has some plays run from So I'm interested to see how they divide those shots up and what they determine are like certain roles. Cause I think for, a, for at least like the previous, before this season, really like Sabonis' role was pretty clear. He was like going to be in every action on every play, but when it's like this, like the, the ball handler, but now he might've developed into that kind of role. So now it's obviously run through him maybe is that the most effective way it was i would say kind of not super effective last year it was fine but it wasn't like off the charts but maybe if a year of being kind of like going through it means we better this next year so i'm interested to see what they who they develop who they decide is what role because i think that's going to be interesting because there's just like it's a lot of like evenly level players right everybody's kind of like a certain level of good and maybe not great but also not a certain level of bad the other thing he said right after that was you've got to sell them on making sacrifices right so I don't, it doesn't, it seems like he still needs to watch film and identify who is, you know, his pecking order and who has what skills and what value and what he sees out of everybody. But, you know, he's been known to tell it like it is right for his, in his time in the NBA. So it seems like he's going to be telling guys what he wants from them, what sacrifices they'll have to make for the team to be better. And after a season, you go 34 and 38. I'm, I'm hopeful um, as a viewer that that guys will be receptive to that. And I liked that part of his uh, line of answerings today. Yeah. I mean, they, they, He'll come in with, uh, what, four guys in the last season and average 20 points per game, right? Brogdon last year, Spons last year, Levert last year with the Pacers, and then Warren the year before, I think, had 20 a game. So, 
you can't really have that work. So that will be interesting how he divides that up. The other big thing before we get to specific players that he talked about, um, some people got the vibe and I get where this came from. It, honestly, I, I think it makes some sense that he talked about basically running it back roster wise, right? When he talked about the team, uh, he talked about skills of basically everybody on the roster and then potentially being coached by him. And then he even said with regards to McConnell and McDermott, uh, try to get McConnell and McDermott resigned if we can do that. Right. So I think he likes them and likes their skill set and would like it if they came back, you know, he did say, try to resign them. And he did say, if we can do that. Right. So I think but he so, knows that it's not but, a lock or anything, but, but some of that is semantics, right? Like he's not going to go uh, up there and start calling out players. And like, we even <laughs> saw, for example, last year, right. Bjorken said you play both centers together and they still pursued a center trade. So I don't, you know, and, and Carl also said it best, right. He doesn't want to be the GM. So I don't right. know necessarily if, yeah, I'm sure he'll have some input. There'll be some discussion. Do you like this guy? You like this guy? What do you think about this? But like, it doesn't seem like, I don't know. I, I'm not surprised. Like I wouldn't expect him to go up there and be like, this can't work. We need to trade one player. Oh, like, right. Right. Just, you know, a lot of it is just semantics. I mean, and I think even the McConnell McDermott thing is sort of like just trying. I mean, I think one, any coach, one of those two guys back in the great season last year, but at the same time, it's like they're in the building probably still are still kind of like tie the players. So he did want to like talk to them and stuff like that. I forgot. I forgot the classic. This was a presser. So everything is like exaggeratedly positive part of it. Yeah. Right? And that ties into that as well. So of course he would like to have them back. They're good. Um, but it seems like he genuinely likes McDermott from his time in Dallas. And I mean, who wouldn't? Highly. McDermott's just 40% three-pointer the last three seasons, basically. And, you know. Listen to, uh, listen to Adam on Doug McDermott on yesterday's podcast. Yeah, so I, I mean, he <laughs> I, basically he's like – he's the, the best spacing player the Pacers probably have by far. Not even probably. Not even probably. No well, doubt. I don't know. If Warren's going to shoot four with him with three – he might be the better spacer, but that's yeah. fair. If he, if, <laughs> if, if, I mean, I'm not saying he, did. you know, yeah. but yes, he's, uh, he's in the top two in spacing. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff he had to say about specific players on the roster and analytics and style. And we'll get to that in a second, but I did think it was interesting. The comments he had, like on, he even called out individual skills of guys like Jeremy lamb, right? He got like that far down the roster when rattling off skills of his players. So it seems like he has an affinity for at least a lot of the guys on the roster, uh, including the departing free agents, even if it is, you know, la la land rosiness of the press conference. It's still, you know, he, he called out specific skills of guys he likes and he called miles Turner, the best room protector in the NBA. So that was cool. Yeah. Is he though? <laughs> no, <laughs> he is but not. he's up there. I mean, so when he's healthy, he's in the top, what, three or four, two, two, two. go bear one him too. You know, top two sounds better than two, but yes, he is too. <laughs> to me. Would, it, yeah. I guess rims are wise. is probably Nobody else in between that. I know Aiden's been pretty good this playoff run, but it's nowhere near the end of the season. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's fair. Uh, and then the other thing that's not roster specific was something I brought up earlier the assistant coaches. Uh, KP kind of talked about this too. His relationship with other coaches as the head of the coaches association helps him here, uh, can help with staff. And KP said, We're getting close on some and said announcements are forthcoming. And that's mostly nothing. You know, they apparently they were pushing for Fisdale and he's going to L.A. But, um, you know, with remember with Bjorken, it took like 25 days to get that all ironed out. And then we learned over the course of the season from Scott Agnes's reporting and Jay Michael's reporting that it was kind of hard for them to, to get assistance in the door to be under Bjorken last year. So the speedier that goes, <laughs> perhaps that's a sign that guys actually still want to work with Carlisle. We talked about some potential candidates last week there, but I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, well, Carl also crossed paths was probably like, everybody dozens if maybe not even like a hundred plus different coaches in his what 25 plus years of assistant and being a head coach like he he knows 
a lot of people that and like that's probably one of the broken problems. He was just new. It's hard when you're new to put a staff together unless you're like hiring from your the previous job essentially. So yeah, I don't think Carl have trouble putting a staff together. I think he knows plenty of guys that and he'll find, you know, and maybe he'll even surprise with some names that we didn't expect for like kind of giving guys a chance to perform more players and whatnot. So let's talk about some of his comments on the roster and specific players and strategies and things like that. But first, it's Thursday, which means we have to talk about the Michelob Ultra moments of the week. The player of the week was Tuesday. The moment of the week is Thursday. And this one's easy. It's 12.30 a.m. on the East Coast, which means about 20 minutes ago, the Suns punched their ticket. Chris Paul. Chris Paul is in the finals. I'm thrilled for him. I'm thrilled for Monty Williams. I'm thrilled for that Suns team that has just been unbelievably good since the start of the bubble last year. What a ridiculous story. They won 19 games two seasons ago. And there's a chance that... If the Bucs make the final, shout out to uh, Dave Sorrell and Miller Time Pod, that the two teams that have made the biggest trades with the Pacers over the last two years end up in the finals against each other this year. But big and the third one has the Pacers' former head coach. <laughs> yeah. Big congrats to the Phoenix Suns. They are the moment of the week for just defeating the Los Angeles Clippers in six games and reaching the NBA finals. Credit to them. They have turned their, their organization and team around so quickly in two seasons and you know that they're having happiness and enjoyment watching them celebrate on the court was fantastic. Go check out tons of other exciting ultra moments with the hashtag ultra moment on Twitter. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And with only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, Michelob Ultra, you will certainly enjoy it. Joy creates success and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Try Michelob Ultra today. So we learned in this press conference at the end, Adam, that, uh, Rick Carlisle has seen a video of DeMontis Sabonis' birth, and that was my favorite anecdote. Great, great question, Tony. Uh, Rick, I, yeah, I asked Rick about, he coached Arvidas, actually, when he was an assistant with the Blazers. And I was kind of hoping that he would talk more about the similarities he sees in their game, but great anecdote talking about, you know, they were coaching Portland Jazz in the playoffs, and Arvidas showed um, the some of the, the birth video of Domas when they were working together. And so he said he kind of felt a connection to Domas and they've communicated now. Uh, Sabonis is in Lithuania, but Carlisle has communicated with him. I think that was one of the last players he had to connect with. So he's talked to everybody. He, he's got the roster down and he talked a lot about uh, Sabonis and Turner in particular. Those guys are always going to be the meat of the questions for, for Pacers press conferences. But my other, I'm, I'm going to use my questions to leap in here. My other question was, if you'll go back to 2019 with me, Adam, uh, there sure. was a big story for Rick Carlisle. NBA on TNT was ripping him for not calling post-ups for Chris Depps Porzingis. Uh, and Chris Depps Porzingis is not a good post-up player. He was making the right call. And he even cited, you know, not analytics per se, but he talked about that's not a good possession anymore. We don't get good results out of posting up Chris Stapps. It's better for us to spread it out and play a spread out offense. So I asked him, you know, hey, you had that situation in Dallas with the post-ups. What kind of role does analytics and that kind of stuff play? in your decision making because i wanted to know you know how he feels about all that and he talked about you know he obviously wants to maximize things but he's looking for the right balance of spacing and interior play and he said sabonis is one of the guys in the nba who can post up and get you the required points that your team needs right because he's got the passing and screening ability so i thought that was telling a that he's you know i mean i think we I knew it was a Porzingis specific thing in Dallas. I just wanted to hear what his thoughts were on the general philosophy uh, and strategy of, you know, thinking about the numbers of scoring, but it seems like that's another point for him on, you know, putting guys in the right situation to succeed. And I agree with him that the balance of spacing and post play is important. So I thought that was a cool answer. Yeah. But I think the Sabonis 
uh, what we call a questioner thing will be the most interesting part of Carlisle's next probably two seasons. Because uh, I think Sabonis has a real potential to be their all-star. I mean, he wasn't all-star, but like their all-NBA level player. And what we, you know, if you look at his yeah. like progression the last couple of seasons, it sort of tracks with Jokic in a sense. I mean, Jokic made a huge leap this last season. And no, I'm not a, doing this. <laughs> he's a no, no, he's a better passer overall. But like, if you look at just like scoring and usage rate and um, the assist kind of growth, it has a similar comp to Jokic's last, like the, the three previous MVPs are the same as kind of Sabonis's. Now, the question is, can Sabonis make any kind of leap? And that would be kind of the big Carlisle question. And I think. You look at like he's more something like Smoke is more like uh Yogi's needs like Chris Stapps. Chris Stapps is a different kind of player. I agree with that. Chris Stapps is like even more like I mean, I guess that is peaky, he's more like Durant in some ways, right? That was best. Yeah. Kind of just a pure score. So I'm interested to see what he what he you know, when he kind of hones it on the film and what he decides to do with Sabonis. Does he take Sabonis to like this the kind of stretch or the the point center side, or is he kind of taken back to the always in the action screen setting, like is really good as like, kind of like the, the, the action creator player. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's uh, how he handles that way. Very interesting. And we've seen that Sabonis continues to take on bigger roles like every year. Right. So I'm sure Rick Carlisle can think of creative ways to use him as well. In a similar answer to questions about Turner's usage, he talked about using Turner more as a lob threat, which made me go, Ooh, cause that sounds awesome just mixing in more varied stuff for miles. That isn't just pops out to the three point line would be fantastic. And he brought up miles defense a lot. I already talked about how he mentioned he's one of the best rim protectors in the league. So I enjoyed that as well. Uh, did he mention anything that stood out to you when he was talking about some of the perimeter players? Um, he talked about Brogdon's leadership. I, I remember that uh, being a quality leader. What else? Yeah, I mean that that's the most thing I can remember about but at least the, like the him and Karis. I don't remember I remember like the specific quotes about that was the Turner lob thing because I think it's interesting because Turner, I don't does he have the hand coordination to be the kind of lob threat? Like that like it's even Clint Capella can be. Because that's what I kind of worry about was he's got the athleticism for it. Certainly. I just I feel like he's not always like like high flying like that. That makes sense, right? I mean he can kind of get in the air, but I'm not sure he's like I think he can get in the air. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it probably just takes some, some practice, but I just worry that he doesn't have quite have like the hand coordination to be able to do that in some ways, yeah. but he probably does. Um, trying to think, I mean, there was the McConnell stuff, obviously. Yep. Did, it, how, did he say much about Warren or about Levert? I don't remember being a, like a ton Not of really stuff. at all, really. Right? No. I mean, it was very little. I think he was like, I'm excited to watch film on both of them, I want to say is what he said. Yeah, and, you know, he, he did mention a lot that he liked the roster and it was part of the appeal of him coming back in general. Um, which of course was interesting. And uh, you know, with a team like this, there's a lot of unique stuff you can do. Cause like you said, there's a lot of guys in that like top 70 players tier, but not quite like star tier. So you have a lot of skill if you can figure out how to mesh that all together. Um, and he's, you know, he, if he's going to space the floor, out, like he says, there are a lot of interesting ways to do that. So uh, he'll certainly have lots of unique tools at his disposal. Uh, and he's like, he said he liked his conversations he's had with like basically every player, right? He talked about, them having the right tone and alignment uh, to being a good team, which was another um, thing that, that appealed to him about this job. So uh, yeah, he, you know, he, he likes the evolving game and I think he can sell these guys up for success. And then let's get to the big one, Adam. We talked about this Monday. I texted you about it. It's the only thing I texted you about during the press conference. Someone asked him about Sir bonus and he, he said, I think there's ways we can stagger them. And I about passed out in my chair because Finally, someone said the word stagger when talking about two players that say this play the same position. 
So if those guys are back, which both of us think is not the correct team building thing, but it's certainly a possibility. Hopefully that is something he follows up on basketball wise, because that seems like the best way to optimize this roster is by staggering the centers more. Yeah. I just, there's only so much there you can do when you play a guy 32 minutes and another guy 30 minutes. Right. And that's what they, that's what those two spots need to play. So I get it. You make, you can probably make it work and it'd be a little better than what it was in the past, but I'm still so cool that it actually can work. Right. Yeah. Can, right. I mean, like, so you look at last year, right. Savonis played about half his minutes in each, in each position. So that means he probably put half his minutes on the court. Um, basically a solo center and then Turner played all hundred minutes. So uh, as center, so I'm, I'm guessing you look at Turner's minutes, they overlap, leaves him like 600 minutes where he wasn't on the court with, with, with some bonus, give or take. So I, I'm just not sure how you can find that many minutes, I guess. For well, and if they stagger, hard. great. And then Goga's just like not ever going to play again. Like, you know. Yeah, well, it, it, that that's a flaw in a draft pick for sure. Uh, yeah, certainly a team building strategy. They're the only other quote I wanted to highlight, and then I'll let you let you opine for a while. Is he talked about unfinished business? And he, he the last time he was here, Cassius Stanley was four years old. He got Cassius was four when Rick got hired by the Pacers the first time. But he said, unless you've won a championship, there's always unfinished business. So coming back to Indiana uh, has that chip on his shoulder. But you texted me earlier and said you have thoughts about the pressure you wanted to talk about. So let, yeah, let's go. I, Adam I thought, Friedman opine. Go. Well, I thought one of the interesting things he said was we, he was asked about um, taking a year off. It's a common the coaches do, right? Get a year of cover and then. You're still usually pretty, doing TV, right? Yeah. Or even not, I mean, you're still a pretty prime candidate if you're a year out of the league. Right. I mean, like, especially a championship winning coach, it wouldn't be hard for to find a job. Now, granted, there are a lot more jobs available this year. Maybe there would be in a, in a normal year. I don't know. I mean, I think there's what, there's like six right now, six or seven. I don't think that's the top of my head, but um, I feel like it's passage has been lowered more like two or three at times. Um, but to me, I guess it, that was interesting. And I was kind of trying to figure out, because my biggest concern with him coming in the end was he just took the job because he didn't want to have a transition period, right? He just wanted to go to the next job. He's kind of like in his early 60s, so he's at the point where like if he didn't work a couple of years, he all of a sudden probably wouldn't be able to get back in the league. Um, but it did seem like he was generally interested in coming back to Indiana. He felt like it was a like maybe not like premier top level job, but was one of the jobs that like or just working for, right? It wasn't just like him going to I'm going to say a few like the Magic or the Kings or you know these franchises that have been floundering for decades, he was going to a team that may not be like elite level yet, but they at least have a desire to win. And that I think is like desirable among coaches at least. I think that it, I thought it was really interesting what he said about that. And I think some of the stuff of just, we talked about earlier between Pritchard and him kind of just coming together, it felt, you know, it feels more like a marriage than a coaching hire in some ways. And his ties to the state helped. I thought that was a cool thing that, yeah. you know, his daughter was born here and now she has a driver's license. He brought that up, which was cool. Uh, and it, I don't know how many people caught this. It, it's actually pretty hard to tell. Uh, I, I saw it because the editor-in-chief of the Indie Monthly posted it. But the, the one of the posters, he's in South Carolina, as we joked about earlier. Yeah, the poster behind him was Indiana Monthly. The, the poster him? behind him was a cover of an Indie Monthly magazine. Do you think he had it up there originally or he switched some stuff around? <laughs> uh good, good well either way good job rick i think it was a profile <laughs> right? of him i think is what it looked like the cover had his name on it i think or that'd be a big wall to rearrange just for a press conference there's a lot of pictures i agree it probably he might have moved like you know his desk was faced one way and it faced the other way now he could do that <laughs> you know face turn the camera a little bit but still it was it was he was it almost like the thought that counts right he thought far enough ahead to do that that's true that, of, yeah like, a there you go thing See, this is our proof that Rick Carlisle cares about the little things. Is he positioned himself? No, he. I mean, <laughs> he definitely 
like I'm wondering if the press conference took so long to have him because he wanted to do his homework, right? He seemed like he took the job because he trusted the, the organization. He had liked coming, you know, understood it at kind of a high level where the Patriots at. And then he wanted to actually like watch film on the players, understand players, and then he would talk about them. Like he didn't want to just come in and talk, which I thought was kind of interesting because right. it, it was a very quick process, right? It wasn't this long drawn out interview. What do you see? It was more like we trust, you know, Pritchard or whoever that we know you are a good coach. We trust you to figure out where we're going to bring you in based on that, not based on like some interview we've had basically. Do you have any other stray thoughts from this? I have one more if you have no more. No, you go you go ahead. Uh, I have two more quotes I tweeted that I didn't put in my notes to talk about today. One is he said, quote, we're going to put a heavy emphasis on getting better defensively. Uh, that's great. Obviously, this team needs it. Uh, and then there's been some reported assistants that could be coming uh, if they are hired. And I think two of the three are assistant-minded guys. So it seems like he knows that's a weakness of his, that with the right assistant, they could have a really good defense. And, you know, the, their defense was a disaster last year, right? It literally cost them their season. If they had beat the Wizards once in the regular season, they're the eighth seed. They're hosting that play-in game. If they win the play-in game, they're in the playoffs. But they couldn't stop the Wizards for shit. <laughs> so they didn't They didn't win any of those games, right? Their defense was a disaster. The other one that I quoted is he said, this is my kind of team, right? And it's a kind of group he thinks he likes working with. So, uh, you know, he's talked to all the guys. Now I talked about how he finally got in contact with Sabonis over in Lithuania. So it seems like he likes his roster and he wants to make them better and, and grow together. Yeah, I think those, that wraps it up nicely. I think it's be interesting to see what, what they do going forward with their draft pick and then what it looks like his first couple of months. I guess we won't, we won't have to evaluate him as, uh, as tough as we did Bjorkman, right? In the way of yep. like trying to like figure it out. We, like, we know what he is. So if we don't see improvements in the first few months, we pretty much know that it's probably a lot that, I'd be a little bit of a lost cause already. Might not be a Rick Carlisle problem in that case. Um, yeah, well, that's also fair. Lost cause may not be his fault. It might yeah. be uh, the locker room. So we're way behind here uh, because, again, the lottery was last week. But they hired Rick Carlisle last uh, Thursday slash Friday. So we can finally get to it. They had their Pacers had their first, like you just mentioned about the draft pick. They had their first draft workout uh, yesterday in uh, the St. Vincent Center, which is cool. Uh, some first round level guys, some second round level guys, some undrafted level guys. That's just how it goes. Uh, so let's, we're going to do a quick big board. So we have something on the record, the locked on Pacers stance on draft picks. And Adam's going to debate me on guys that I have really low or really high. And then we'll talk about the draft more closer to it, but we got to do it. Uh, so let's do that. But we got to take one break first. Uh, and let's talk about the great folks over at Rock Auto because with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now basically impossible for your local auto parts stores stock all the parts you need. Why endure the stupid, intimidating questioning about your Odyssey, if it's an LX, an EX, a BX, a CX, and wait while the guy behind the counter orders the parts on their computer. Then you have to go back to the store and get it again. The process is terrible, but rockauto.com gets rid of all that crap. You can save time and money when using their website. Uh, rockauto.com, family business, serving do-it-yourselfish for over 20 years. Their prices are always reliably low for every customer, and they'll have everything you could need for your car. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, you name it, they've got it. Go explore their easy-to-use website today. Find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So Adam can see my whole list. Adam is the only person on the planet who can see my ranking of players. Oh, I better tweet it out. <laughs> so Adam, you can see it. So I'll tell you the yellow players. I have not. I have watched basically no film of. Okay. So I'm, it's kind of an analytics-based guess plus evaluations of people I trust in scouting. Um, 
And the other thing is this is a big board. This is not a mock draft, right? So I don't expect the players to get picked in this order. This is the order I would rank them. And for some of them, I'll talk about who, like, if they aren't a good Pacers fit and they're around the Pacers range, we can get there. So the top four, I think, is a tier of its own. Really, the top two is a tier, and then three is a tier, and then four is a tier for me. But Cade Cunningham is the best player in this draft. Evan Mobley is the second best player in this draft. Adam, do you agree with both of those? Uh, yeah, Jalen Green totally. is also very good. Totally, yes, I agree with you. Jalen Suggs is the fourth best player, obviously. That's the top four in some order, but I think Suggs is four for basically everybody. And then Green and Mobley are two, three, and Cade's number one. Like, the, the Pistons are doing all this cute stuff about, like, we might trade the pick, or we like Evan Mobley. They're going to pick Cade Cunningham. Like, uh, they just are. Yeah, I, I like Suggs personally. Just he's good. Yeah, I mean, I think he has like the body type and the pro type to be a pretty good NBA player. It seemed like the top four is like your the top four is still like all all NBA potential guys. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I just the odds are one of them will uh you know what I mean will like end up not being great. And I think if if I'm picking like the one, it's probably either Suggs or Green, and I just I've seen Suggs a little Jaylen's. more. Yeah, yeah. Then there's a not a big drop like there my five through seven I like all these guys a lot and I have my two guys kind of out of order from consensus here. My favorite Pacers pick for a while at number five, Scotty Barnes. He's not going to be available for the Pacers at thirteen. Just an awesome, awesome forward who can do so many unique things on a basketball court. Like fit on every team. Amazing defender. Uh, I don't know how much you've watched Scotty Barnes, Adam, but he's fantastic. Um, just a little bit. I basically been trying to go through the highlight tapes to start yeah. at least of like the top 15, assuming those are guys that fall to the Pacers. Um, I mean, I'm surprised you know I'm coming a little higher, I guess. And you kind of been the consensus, consensus number five. I don't care lot. about consensi. What, I, that, did I, I say Look at my wrong? number 20, Adam. I do not care about the consensus. Well, that's true. Your number 20 is in most people's top 10 big board. So most that's, people, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the the one thing I, I always would go for the draft is shooting because that seems to be the most valuable skill set in the NBA right now. Like defense matters, but the two defensive, at least the defensive player of the year in the West got, got out of the second round of the playoffs and the, with Ben Simmons, the second defensive ranking or in the voting, and he also got out in the second round. So I tend to think offense matters more, but I, I, you know, when you get to like that kind of range, I'm not necessarily, I don't think there's like, you can go wrong, I guess. You kind of just based on what your gut feel is. My number six, also a big jump compared to consensus for me, Moses Moody from Arkansas. His college coach, Eric uh, Musselman, replied to me on Twitter talking about his character too. So apparently a well-thought-of dude, great player, uh, Eric Musselman. Remember, former coach of the Kings and the Warriors, like in the NBA. So he's a great head coach. Uh, Moody can score. He's got the floater game. I love his offensive game. Plus eight wingspan at the combine, so he's going to be a good team defender. His shooting is going to translate good free throw shooter in college. I think he's going to be awesome. I have him six. And then you mentioned Kuminga, who I have seven. He could move up when I really dive into G League Ignite tape, but uh, he's still going to be really good. I just don't have him ahead of Barnes and Moody. Yeah, I'm more surprised by your number eight. I'm surprised you have Giddy so high. I love Josh Giddy. He's so good. I mean, I'm not surprised you fell in love with the European players. Well, he's not European. Not European. I'm sorry. <laughs> fell in love with the, with the non-college like players. I'm sorry. Yes, he is so super good. Well, I, I need to move up my 17 guy. He's also European, but or he is actually European. But yeah, Josh Giddy, such a high IQ, can beat guys off the dribble. His defense is a legit concern. I, like after seven is another tier, right? Like after four is one and after seven is another. But he's so special on offense that I think he can just be a ridiculous like creator in the NBA. He's six eight and can create for himself and others. That's so hard to find. I guess to me, like, where, where do you have – okay, you have Johnson 10, right? I mean, that's for somebody – I would think – Yeah, Johnson, to, yeah. Right? Or maybe I'm thinking of Jalen Johnson. I'm thinking of Jalen Johnson. Um, 14. Yeah, I guess I'm surprised – I guess I wouldn't put Jalen Johnson at 8, but I just feel like something about the size 
I like Jalen Johnson. So, yeah. so if I was making, I need to make lines for tiers on this, like under stuff, because from Giddy to let's say 16 is probably a tier for me. Like anyone in this tier, okay. they're like pretty close. I guess I'm not but, sure Giddy's the top of that that tier. I guess I think so. I'd have him closer to the Kuminga tier than than the bottom okay. of this tier. I love Josh Giddy. I think he's fantastic. I feel like he's more. I know some people who life. like full time work on draft stuff who have him top five. Okay, but I mean, I know my own rankings are different than, but he he's really good. I, he you just he's really good. Okay. I manipulate defenses in ways that other prospects can't. Same with Sharif Cooper, who I have number nine. But I just said this is a tier, so I'm just gonna run through the whole thing. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, Giddy at eight, Sharif Cooper at nine. I, I absolutely love Sharif Cooper. I think he's gonna be an awesome NBA player. Keon Johnson at ten broke like every combine athleticism record. <laughs> he just looks ridiculous from Tennessee. Heady defender, really quick, good player. Uh, Franz Wagner from Michigan at 11 has absurd advanced metrics. He is yellow though, as Adam can see, I have not watched his tape fully yet, but advanced metrics looks good. looks like he's going to be a really good uh, defender and good floor spacer. Kai Jones at 12 Texas center runs like a guard, really good lob threat, good defender can kind of play on the perimeter as well. Uh, That's why I have him so high. This is one I want to pause on. The Pacers should absolutely not pick Kai Jones. (laughs) I think he's fantastic. Uh, One of the 12 best players in this draft. Uh, the Patriots should not be picking big men, so that that's why I have to. Yeah, if take another Texas center. I might, I might have, to, I might, <laughs> might be it for me. <laughs> might be thirteen. Might be, go ahead. Sorry, might be done with basketball with Patriots basketball if that happens. Thirteen, Jaden Springer from from uh, Tennessee. Loved watching him when watching Tennessee basketball. Always is in control of the game. Decent shooter, decent passer. Really quick, just a good player, and working out for the Pacers today. If you're listening on Thursday, uh, July first, so that's exciting. Uh, Fourteen, guy you mentioned earlier, Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson has the potential to be closer to the Kuminga tier, I think. I just right? feel like he has so much, um, like, raw athleticism, I guess, or that's, like, the prototype. He's that quite it, athletic. Well, he just has, like, the prototype of, like, what the league is right now, right? A forward, 6'8"-ish. I mean, I think he's a little shorter than that, but, like, and just – and, and like, those Duke guys, too, right? And he – what, he played half a year with Duke? He didn't, right? he didn't finish the yep. full season with them, right? A little less than that, yeah. Right? So, like, some of that is, like, you just didn't – you haven't, like, seen him in, what, now would be, like – eight months by the time the draft starts or whatever how long it's been um and like the, I mean, at, at duke you get kind of hidden a little bit because around so many other talented players at the same time so like there's not like this like potential to be like a 30 point game or even like really a 20 point game guy i just feel like i like he just has that like prototype now granted i thought the same thing about just winslow back in the day and winslow has been kind of you know okay but not what i thought he'd be so not not always correct with the duke guys but i just feel like he has that like body type that should be going maybe top 10. And if he fell to the Pacers, it would be really nice to have somebody fun like that on the team. I would be, I think he's a good fit for the Pacers just with his skill set. I do not ever think he'll be the score you just described. I think his creation game on offense is like really bad. That's his biggest weakness to me. But excellent defender, excellent in transition, pops off the screen with the athleticism. And 15, I have a guy who I want, you mentioned something earlier. You talked about shooting and the importance of offense in the playoffs. And this guy's going to get memed on to death by Pacers fans for obvious reasons, given their draft history. But Corey Kispert, he's fantastic. At best shooting. shooter in the draft, probably. Right? Amazing offensive player, best shooter in the draft. And then James Booknight at 16, Connecticut guard, really good at creating space off the dribble for his own shot. He's another talented offensive player. Anyone 8 through 16, if you rank them in a slightly different order than me, I understand. That's completely fine, right? And outside of Kai Jones, if the Patriots picked any of these guys, they would fit in well on the team. So I, yeah. I like a lot of those guys. Yeah, to be honest, when I look at the draft, like once I get the Patriots for their picking, I, I, I like the top, let's say from Kaminga down, like I'm not even really going to bother to watch much of them. I know you will because you'd like that, but like Patriots aren't getting one of those guys. I mean, if they, I mean, if they trade it up, I'd be right. surprised, right? So like I don't need to watch Evan Mobley, for example. I mean, I'm like, they could get my sixth ranked player. They could get Moses Moody in theory. ESPN yeah, I mean, there's a, so like, 
the thing is, if one of those five guys that like Kaminga down or up, whatever you want to call it, fell to them, they'd take him. Like it wouldn't matter, right? It'd be similar to a Michael Porter Jr. situation. Like they're just gonna take him. Like doesn't matter what's out there, you just take one of those guys because at the 13th pick, that's your best chance. But um, my guess is watching more probably from like your well, I guess from your six down, you could six to like probably 20 is any of those guys are probably could be pacers. Yeah. 17 through 20 is my next tier two Euro guys in the, in the, the Butler, the Baylor guard. So Alperen Sengun, who apparently I need to move up a lot because a lot of people I trust that he's like, Oh, awesome. He's this European center who apparently has really good perimeter skills. I cannot describe his game at all. I've never watched him. I have no idea. Uh, Roko Prication at 18. I'm really high on him. Another European guy really quick. A lot of places have him mocked in the second round. If the Pacers picked him at 13. I would honestly understand. And then Jared Butler at 19 and Davion Mitchell at 20. You can debate me on Davion. I know you like him. I don't think he's that good. I think he'll be fine, but I don't think he'll be that good. I mean, for him, right, it's just it's about his height, right? Is that why you don't like him or what else you don't like about him? No, I don't think his shooting's going to translate at all. Uh, and he's not, like, awesome as a defender. So, so. that's a good interesting thought. I mean, most of the time, it takes a, a little while, but most of the time college shooters transfer to the NBA and at least the top level ones, right? I'm thinking like Doug McDermott took a little bit. Um, but he wasn't a top level shooter. Doug McDermott? Or no, Davion. He's a shoot? bad shooter. Then he transferred. Then he was a bad shooter. And then he had a hot shooting season. Still was bad from the free throw. So, okay. So that you're, you're, I'm, so I'm looking just at Baylor season, right? You're thinking that that was an outlier because I guess because the COVID is. Maybe issue. not an outlier. I just, it, that maybe it's only 141 attempts in the first 150 attempts. I mean, you can get better. Like a guy I have 21 who is the last tier of like for sure to me going to be a good NBA player at some point, Trey Mann, like he was not a good three-point shooter his freshman year at Florida and then became a really good one. He worked out for the Patriots yesterday, by the way. So it's certainly possible guys can jump up like that, but you look at the like his form, his peripherals, uh, like free throw percentage and free throw rate and, and all the other stats you look at when, when dissecting if a guy could be a good shooter as well as just watching him play. I just don't think he's going to be a good shooter. He could be. He could be. And if he is, then I think he is probably a top 15, top 10 guy, but I don't think he's going to be. Yeah. I'm not as high on his defense as everybody else. I, I guess to me, when you, and he's short, you're right about that. Well, the short thing is always an issue. Uh, they're always a problem because it just kind of, it, it can be okay. I mean, you could get away with it depending on if you have to be a really elite at certain, at, at something at least to get to be that short in the league. But I wonder, is the leap an outlier or because he actually improved? And if he improved, that's a really good sign, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. What do you yeah. expect from, tw- you know, a 21? AP loves that out of guys to too, do, right? If, if you can legitimately make yourself better at a one skill set, I mean, how does that translate if he continues to do that? Right. I mean, right. If, if he was a, if he was six, four, right. He might've been in the league, let's say as like sophomore year. Right. If, if he was that tall, he might've been able to kind of be that. And maybe would have seen this jump in the league, which we'd be like, Oh, year three, he just made this leap. So I, I do think at his age, if there's, there's something to that. Um, but so, so let's say this past college season, instead of 44.7%, he shot a 46.6% from three. And from the free throw line, instead of 64.1%, he shot 67.9%. Would that make you more confident in his shooting? I don't know. I mean, I think anything. <laughs> this is a loaded question. Yeah. Those yeah, are TJ that. Leaf's shooting numbers in college, which did okay. not translate at all. Yeah. But Leaf. The free throw percentage is, is just so scary to me. Like, I put a lot of value in that because that shows your consistency, your form, your repetitive motion kind of stuff that Davion doesn't have. Yeah. I guess my thing about Leaf was he didn't translate because he. Like I think kind of couldn't shoot, but it was because he couldn't athletically couldn't do on the court. He couldn't even play any defense, right? I don't. I don't know. Play defense in college either. The athleticism was fine in the NBA, really. 
Leafs was. I thought he got kind of. Yeah, he was a good rebounder. That was like his best plus skill in the NBA. He had the athleticism to get some rebounds. I just feel like he was like slow. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, we only saw him on like. Slow and athleticism are separate to me, but sure. Oh, okay. That's fair. I guess I kind of, I kind of merged them together, but I don't know. I mean, I think I, I'm partial to the kind of like senior guards or senior players who played four years and have made jumps and kind of gotten better. And I feel like that just translates well in the league at times. And you've seen it kind of across the board with all kinds of players who have played two or three years in the NBA and have been really good. I mean, just to kind of, there, there's two patterns really. This, this is why I probably should have him above Jared Butler alone is just like, if either like he's pretty quick and smart with the ball and can get to the basket. So like, that's good. He's going to be a good NBA player. If either the shot or the defense translates, yeah, he's, he's, he's a lot of guy. Well, I think what's interesting, right? Look at like the, in the NBA, the top like 20 players outside. They're probably only a handful who either were the number one picks. And that's why they only went to your college. Like they were consensus, number one, number two picks, or a lot of them are like two or three year guys that then developed. Right. I mean, look like Paul George, Jimmy Butler, both guys like that. Um, Chris Paul, I think played two years at Wake Forest. He or, did not. You know, you play one year at Wake Forest. No, only one year. Um, thinking Vic played three years. Also, I guess he's not in the top twenty anymore. Uh, <laughs> but like, but then it's the number. Chris Paul did play two years. Excuse me, I didn't know that. Right? Okay. All right. Well, way to like really. <laughs> I thought Chris Paul played. A- you years. idiot. He was, <laughs> he was short. I mean, that's why. Usually, you're short and can't, can't come out freshman year. Um, Trey Young only played one year though, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just think there's like some, there's something about there are there, were, there are a decent amount of guys in the league who have played. Don Mitchell, I think, played three years of college. Um, there's just a lot of guys who have, like, you look at it, played multiple years of college that are in the top 20 players in the league, or they were like the number one pick since they were like 16. I mean, See, like, I don't know, Adam, four of the top 10 players in the league, LeBron, Giannis, Luka, and Jokic didn't play a single game of college basketball. But LeBron was a guaranteed number one pick for how many years? And then Luka, <laughs> how think, important Luka, is it? Luka, not play, Luka and Jokic don't count. Cause I think playing in Adam, Europe, Europe is like playing in higher. Rudy Gobert. How did, how did he do in college? Yeah. I think that's, that's not fair. Cause those guys basically played college basketball but when they were they played better than college yeah yeah well maybe depending i trade man 21 i think he's going to be good in the nba just because he can hit threes at a high level off the dribble everyone after trey man for me they like our role player basically guys who could be good if like their high end uh shakes out uh jeremiah robinson earl from villanova zaire williams from uh, Stanford, he was ranked really high before his college. He's an Usman Garuba from Real Madrid. And then a bunch of guys I haven't watched that I like their stats or I like their story. Uh, Trey Murphy, JT Thor, Cam Thomas, BJ Boston, Quentin Grimes, and Dyson Nix. That is my top 30. And okay. I think Bones Island is going to end up in my top 30 at some point, Michael Wilson. Okay. Well, I think it looks like anybody on your list outside of the top. I need to make my they, lines now. just so If I they take out outside the 21 players, you'd be disappointed. Am I correct? Top 21. Uh, yes, correct. Okay, that's correct. I think the only guy out of the top 21 that has even been mocked at all to Lotto is Zaire, uh, who's got some funk, but um, yeah, that, that's the only guy that I so, could see. Potential so I, I have one question for you. So, yes. of the guys in your top 10, who was most likely to fall to 13? The guys in my top 10 who's most likely to fall to 13? Sharif yeah. Cooper, definitely. Okay, I don't think any mocks have him going as high as I have him, but understood why i mean he's he's short too like the knock on davion about height certainly applies to him isn't sharif uh, though actually like taller than davion uh if his early draft measurements are correct then yes he is but we'll see if that's true or not okay. i think a lot of people were skeptical of those being accurate because if he's six three i would pick him like fifth <laughs> he's oh interesting okay very good so we'll see with him and then giddy who knows with him i've seen mocks with him all over the place um, it's hard to yeah. value right he played in australia last year 
just hard to evaluate. He's hard to evaluate because he's so upright that sometimes he looks like he's not trying, right? So we'll see. We will see. But there we go. A, a locked on Pacers big board set in stone. Sounds good. Now we got locked in. Put is it's written in pencil, not pen. So. Yes, it will definitely be changed by the time some of these names turn white and the draft is still three weeks away, four weeks away. So I I subject to change, of course. Maybe we'll do an actual mock draft at some point. Yeah, I mean, now we're turning towards the rest of our play reviews and draft stuff, right? It's July. Yeah, we're rounding out free agency week. Uh, we talked about McConnell's and McDermott's on earlier this week because free agency is a month away, officially. It's July. Uh, Jakar Sampson up on the player season recaps tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. And then next week, all of our uh, shows with both me and Adam will be talking about free agency previews by position, so point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. Before that, we'll do uh, the show we've been talking about for forever next Tuesday. Best obtainable potential stars for the Pacers in the offseason. I have a long list of of stars is in quotes because some of them aren't actually stars, but like noticeable upgrades. We've got to break it all down. So stick tuned for that. But I got nothing else to do. Nope, I think I'm good. We are now almost bleeding into the next, well, for me, the next day on our recording. (laughs) We are for me as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, we'll, again, have a ton of free agency content and player review content coming up for you. And we will see you tomorrow.